You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. Hey, what's up, everyone? I'm Matt Migaki, the vocalist of Cryptopsy and the host of the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast, where I sit down with fellow metal musicians. We talk all about their lives and music while sharing killer craft beers. If you've ever wanted to sneak backstage and share a beer with one of your favorite musicians, well, Vox and Hops is the podcast for you. This week on the podcast, I had an amazing conversation with Morgan Lander and S.J. Jones about Kitty Pig. There is this episode and over 450 other ones to help you enjoy life, metal, and craft beer. So what are you waiting for? It's time to become a Vox and Hops head. Cheers! Welcome to a new episode of Delirious Nomads, brought to you by Blacklight Media Records, a weekly podcast hosted by yours truly, celebrity chef Chris Santos, I hate calling myself that, and underground metal connoisseur Matt Bacon, who loves being called that. This is your new favorite podcast for all things heavy metal, as well as breakdowns of your favorite combat sports and riffing on some food talk every week with very special guests from across the globe. Hey, what's up, everyone? Welcome to another uh, edition of Delirious Nomads. We are loving the response to this podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Please tell all your friends about it if you want to get a weekly dose of a really cool conversation with some of your favorite metal artists. Um, we talk mostly about metal. We, yeah, we like to talk about food sometimes and boxing because those are my other two things that I love. But uh, but it's mostly about metal. It's mostly about your favorite artists and what they're up to. And uh, I'm super excited today. Matt and I are both super excited today to welcome my good friend, Monty Pittman, who, gosh, we have lots of history together. Um, we've become very good friends. Um, we've even talked about playing some music together. If I can get enough time behind that drum kit which I haven't been able to do, but will eventually. Um, so anyway, Monty Pittman, we're going to get into everything. Thank you so much for being here. Uh, really excited that you're a part of this. Thank you so much for having me. It's uh, it's good to see you. I'm, I'm, I'm very happy to be here, and I'm very excited for us to get on our music project. So... Uh, yes, me too. Me too. I was watching... Um, I was watching... Well, first of all, I have a couple of comments about that. Um, I was watching... Yeah, you've technically about- announced it now, just so you know. Yeah, now you're fucked. <laughs> so that's like I mean, going to be a release on yeah, Black Yeah, it's out now. You, you, you did that. That just happened. I did. I did. I mean, listen, I have, I'm, I'm 50 years old. I'm really, I've really, the pandemic really made me um, think about what I really want to do with my life. And while I am very busy on the restaurant side and I'm going to be pretty busy for the next couple of years with that. Um, there are a lot of other things I do want to do. And one of them is I've always wanted to play music. I, you know, I've been in a couple of bands here and there back in the day, but getting in the studio and recording us, even one song playing, you know, one or two live shows. And now I'm at a point where it's like, I have my own label. It's like, I'd be, I'd be an idiot not to take advantage of that. I mean, I don't care if anybody listens to it or buys it. I just want, you know, I have the ability to, um, to do it and release it. And, um, and play with a, with an amazing player like you. I mean, you're you're one of my you're one of, you're one of the best guitar players in the world, and certainly one of my favorites. So, um, I I will get it together. I will. I promise. Um, but it's not like you have just sitting around waiting for me. You got a lot going on too. Yeah, I've always got a lot of irons in the fire. So I'm I, and I don't know if we've talked about this, but I'm I'm back with ministry again. I was in the band, you know, just for a split second, really. So this is really like the. You know, it's like now now it's for real. And we're going on tour in October. The band and the lineup is just amazing. Um, and, and everybody has been, you know, I've been friends with everybody for years. So that's something that's really exciting. And if anything, 
it's given me something to look forward to because a year ago I thought like, what if I don't ever play music in front of people again? Right. What if that changes so drastically? What if I've had a good run? What if I want to do something else? And this and that. So I, I'm something I'm very excited about. So who's, what's the current lineup? Okay. So it's of course, Al Jorgensen. It's uh, me. And then Cesar Soto on guitar, uh, Roy Mayorga on drums, oh, Paul wow. Demore on bass. And John Bechtel on keys. Wow, amazing! So it's and so how did that come about? You you getting back into into the band? Um, well, Al and I have remained friends over the years. I first met Al when he was uh, producing the Prong Power of the Damager album with us. When I, when I used to play, when I used to play Prong, and so you know we we knew each other. Well, we met each other from that, and just you know we 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 remain friends, and we'll text each other, and you know. Uh, grab lunch every once in a while. And he was saying like, you know, Hey, I'm, I've got a, you know, I've got an, an opening in, in the band and I'd love for you to come back to the band. And I'm like, sure. Yeah. Yeah. You know, if anything you need, or even if it's just like there's a show and you need somebody, I still know all the songs and could just jump in there. Or if you ever get into an emergency situation, because that happens sometimes. And he said, okay, cool. And then he, then he said it to me again. He's like, you know, how would you not do this? It's going to be, you know, Paul on bass and me and you and Caesar and John. And I'm just like, yeah. I said, no, how could you not say yes to that? I'm telling you, yes, I'm, I'm there. I'll do it. <laughs> I want, I want to do it. So, um, so that, that's, that's how it came about that we've all, you know, that, you know, we've, we've just, we've remained friends. And we wanted to do something together musically. I've thought like, well, what if he were to help me with one of my, songs or something like that just uh and so now this this uh this opportunity has arisen and i'm really looking forward to it what's really bizarre to me and these you know you know me and you know i always look at things like this but roy mayorga was one of my first friends that i made when i moved to la and it's you know there's that timeline of like if you could go back in time and say, hey, one day, you know, years from now, we're going to play in the same band. <laughs> and then when I did join Prong, like the, the, the first, you know, when I first started playing in Prong, when it was just me and Tommy Victor, Paul Demore was my dream bass player. Oh, wow. And now I am going to be playing in a band with him. You know, it's just a different circumstance. But it's like these are some of the, the characters that were there you know, when I first moved out here to LA. So it's just sort of a bizarre thing. It's really cool. It's very cool. Um, is the tour US only? Is it, is it, it how long is it going for? What? Yeah, it's, it's US only. It's um, October through November. Uh, the dates are on the ministry site. And, and yes, yeah, just the States. And it's, uh, it's, it's celebrating the anniversary of the, the Mind is a Terrible Thing to Taste album and Helmet. And Frontline Assembly are the opening acts. That's all I know. <laughs> I just show up and play guitar. That's, that's all I tell me. And then next year we're doing Hellfix. With, uh, and it's on the stage we're playing is Nine Inch Nails, Ministry, Killing Joke. It's going to be inc incredible. Great experience. That entire festival is going to be, I have to be there for the whole thing. And I don't know if I'm going to survive. <laughs> I've never actually been to that festival, as you know, Matt. And you, I think you just gave me a really good reason. So you go to my first Hellfest, Monty. What, to watch me die? <laughs> <laughs> 
I, I've never been to one either. And I'm kind of worried because it's called Hellfest because with Prong, we played the Summer Days in Hell Festival. So a different thing. But the reason they call it that is because it's like 120 degrees. <laughs> and I remember we were playing Snap Your Fingers, Snap Your Neck, and the sun was just like, it's the only time I felt like, like I'm about to pass out right now in front of all these people. Wow. Because it's, you know, it's one of those shows you're playing and the sun is just beating down on you. So when there's that word hell, <laughs> it's like, wait, why did they put that in there? Oh, yeah, it's going to be, you know. <laughs> You're going to have a heat stroke. That's why. So what's happening with your solo stuff? Any, any new stuff coming? Um, um... I actually just started writing again. I, I, I'm definitely taking my time. And I have like the, the skeletons of what the songs are going to be. What I don't have is my final decision of what I'm going to do. Like, what is it going to be? Because I look at this as it's, and you, I think every writer would probably be this way. Uh, but I look at it as like, this is the best material I've ever written. And, and I always try to do that as an objective of when I'm making an album is to where it would almost bypass any of the songs you've done before. Like the, the whole album should be so good that you can't even play any other songs live, that you won't have time to play those. And I, I wrote a lot of this stuff when I, a couple of years ago, I went on tour opening for Sebastian Bach and seeing what worked live, like the, like, like my songs, uh, like Before the Morning Sun, uh, The Black Rabbit, um, Arisen in Broad Daylight, songs that are more technical had the best response. I have a note here about, it's about Before the Morning Sun. That's like, cause that's my, that's probably my favorite Monty Pittman track. I was going to make a reference or joke to I will play music with you, but only if we can play that song, because I love that song. <laughs> we can play that song. Absolutely. We can. Yes, we can play that song. We can play that song. Uh, this will do an extended version. Great. Oh, and it's got a drum solo. Then you, you can do the you'll have a drum oh, yeah, solo. Okay. Too. Yeah, okay, we'll, we'll Drummers like that one for some reason. Like, oh, we played before the morning sun. Like, I should do that. Just put solos in all of my songs when I need people <laughs> to play with me. They'll be like, oh, hey, well, this guy will give us a solo. So, uh, so, so you know, I learned a lot from that. And then you, I don't look at things like I'm going to replace this song in the set list. I, I look at it as what's going to add to, and that's how I write. Mm-hmm. Like from, from having that experience, it's like, okay, now I see it. Now this song that I have this idea for, that's going to be the first song on the next album. And that'll be the song that I open the show with. But then I've got acoustic stuff also. And, um, and some of that, and see like the acoustic stuff, that's always been the dilemma with me, always, is I like heavy stuff and I like acoustic stuff. To me, it's all the same. You've only got so many notes in there. You got 12 notes on, on, you know, to, to you to go from. And that's every note. You're only going to use maybe, you know, some songs are just four chords, three chords. And to me, it's all the same. It's just, you know, there's the different effect setting on the amp. That's, the, that's what gives it the different styles of music. And when I was, you know, again, like when I was opening for Sebastian, I did an acoustic song in the middle. And that just sort of like brought everybody's attention in because the dynamic was so much quieter. And so I was seeing where all that does work together. But, but then again, I mean, look at Led Zeppelin. You know, if you look at Led Zeppelin's first album, the, the first song, you know, that was heavy metal when that came out. Then the second song's acoustic. The third song's blues. The fourth song's psychedelic. So that, that model works. So I'm just trying to figure out how that works 
with me. And then the next step of it is I've got this blue stuff that I've been working on. So I've thought about just putting it all together and like, I mean, who cares? You know, it's, um, I want to, I want to do something that is a little different and, but it's unique for me anyway, because there's always that sort of, well, if you have heavy songs, how are you going to possibly have an acoustic guitar on your album? It's a completely different thing. It's not, it's all the same thing. And then do I do an album? Do I put out an album of all the songs or do I do singles? Because, you know, I don't have the, you know, you need to have the capabilities to put out an album. And, you know, the next thing I do, I'm not going to put anything out unless it's the absolute best thing that I've done. And, and that is audio quality too. Some people will say that, you know, you just put anything out. It doesn't matter what it sounds like. I don't, I don't listen to music that doesn't sound good, even though the playing is good and the recordings are good. I mean, not, not that the, you know, the, you know, the performance was good, but, um, and sometimes I think that's why we like some of the things we like. It may not be the best music, but it sounds so good. Even though, and this isn't a, an example of that, but I remember because this is good all the way around. But when Korn's first album came out, people would buy that album because it it made your stereo sound good. You know, like almost to show off the your you know the the bass or something. So those sort of things. And I definitely feel like there's albums. I give a second chance because they sound so good. Like maybe it's something I wouldn't normally like, but it's like, oh, the production is gorgeous. So I need to like hear those drum sounds again. Like I feel that way, like this band Adept are just perfectly produced. And it's like, I don't like that kind of music, but that I like. Yeah. And so you, you mentioned before the morning sun, see that album, Fleming Rasmussen produced it. It was recorded to tape. Everything is the same equipment, same microphone, same board, everything that Ride the Lightning and Master of Puppets were made on. The band, we played together as a band in the room together. And having, when I say Fleming Rasmussen was the producer, like he produced us. He didn't just record us. Like he made sure, like we had to live together. He found a place for us to stay. And it was this artist apartment that she rented out in the place, like everything in the place was cool. Like the whole place looked like art. And so then he would pick us up. We would go. And before you even go in the studio, you go in a room and we would have breakfast together and we would listen to the demo in the car of what the song was we were going to work on that day. So he made sure that everybody was together, that there was this unity. And then when we were in the room playing, like we would play, you know, for me, I'm like, I'm paying for it all. And I'm thinking like, we need, you know, time is money. And then, but we would do a song and think we had a good take and Fleming would be like, oh, that was, that was crap. You got to do it again. <laughs> and we're like, oh, I felt like that was really good. Okay, well, we'll do it again. No, come on. Let, let me know when you're serious. Like, and he would like, really like, you know, like coach us and get us into a certain frame of mind where we almost got pissed off at it. And then it's like, all right, I'll show you, you know, we do the song and he's like, all right, that's what I'm talking about. Now you got some aggression in there. We got that recorded. Now come in here and listen to this. Like, oh, I see what he's doing. Playing mind tricks with this. But, um, you know, there's all those things that go into a recording. I mean, now you can record on, I mean, on your computer. You could just, I could record right here on my couch and it will be just fine. But there's something about having that element, that emotion in there that gets recorded. Yeah, that's just an amazing story. I didn't know you ever, that you had worked with him. Oh yeah, he he did that album. You've worked with a lot of different artists. You've done a lot of collaborations. I I, I see. Are there any? I mean, I see you like you did you did something with Body Count, right? Yeah, I uh, I co-wrote 
the song Bloodlust, which that was that's the title track for their uh, not the last album that came out, but the album before that. How'd that come about? Uh, I was asked uh, that you know that body. Well, they said you know they're they're going to be writing some songs. You you have any ideas you want to submit? And usually, like right then and there, when I get that excitement, is is when I'm going to get ideas. That's not something like yeah, let me get back to you in a couple of months. I remember, uh, like, I went, I got that email, and I had gone to the gym, and so then I was just listening to Body Count, which I do anyway. And I came back, and I, I came home, and I like had these ideas for riffs, and then I just started laying them down. And there's this, the, this, so the song Bloodlust. What, what was said to me was that that Ice T heard that, and he stood up, and he goes, "That's a perfect, you know, like uh, combination of new Body Count and old Body." Oh, cool. And then you, you don't hear anything from a long for a long time. And I just thought like, OK, I guess maybe they wrote some other songs. And then next thing you know, like, oh, hey, the album is coming out. Like what? <laughs> yeah. And it's the title track. That's amazing. And, you know, you've worked with a lot of anyone listening to this right now probably knows this. But, you know, you know, you you for the better part of the last 20 years, you've been working with Madonna. And I know. So you've also you've also worked with a lot. You've also co-written a lot of songs with a lot of pop artists as well. Right. Well, I don't know, like a lot of pop artists, but I mean, me, so with Madonna, you know, I've played live with her, I've played in the studio and we've written together. Yeah, there are things that I've done. I, I don't, been. yeah, yes, there has been. But sometimes I have to go back and think about, I don't think about stuff like that from off the top of my head. I'd have to go, I'd have to look at a list almost. Right. Yeah, well, I, I looked at a list today and I was going to say, okay, yeah. all right, well, did you let, let me know what I... I have the list open right now. <laughs> I wanted to ask, you do a lot of charity work. Yes. Are there any charitable things you're A, particularly proud about and B, working on right now? Uh, I actually don't have anything that I'm working on right now. He's going to play music with me, Matt. That's charity. That's, well, that's yeah. going to be charity. Right? I was going to say that's more like self-punishment. The tomato soup dumpling trio. That's that's <laughs> I just came up with that. That could be our name. We probably come up with a better name. <laughs> now, uh, Little Kids Rock that gets music instruments in schools and, and, and it funds uh, music programs in schools. That is something that's very important to me, especially being a teacher. That is one. Uh, I've done some things for music cares and like when when there was the earthquake in Haiti and there was the tsunami in Thailand, I did you know, played on some, some charity things for that. With Madonna, there's been Live Earth, there's been Live 8, which, you know, an honor to be a part of that, plus just an, an insane experience. Live 8 was the last time Pink Floyd played together. And on Live Earth, Spinal Tap were playing, and they sent out a memo that they were looking for as many people. Like, basically, if any, if any of you who are playing have a bass and you want to play, come join us on Big Bottom. And so uh, I was, and so everybody in Madonna's band at that time couldn't play bass, you know, for, or at least, you know, fake it. All of us were there. How many bassists was that? Derek St. Hubbins said it was every bass player in the known universe. So I didn't, I didn't count. I'm just taking his word for it. But that was a crazy story because uh, Metallica played before Spinal Tap and I had my bass on and then you know, we're just like me and the other guys in, in Madonna's band were just like, oh my God, this is like we're on the same stage and Metallica's playing right now at Wembley Stadium. Like, and you're this close. Like, how I mean, when does that happen? And then Robert comes up to me, I guess because I had, you know, my bass on. He goes, Hey man, uh, how's the song go? And I'm like, 
what? Uh, oh, uh, and I show him. I'm showing him the the song, and he's he just writes it down on his wrist. He's like, all right, man, I can't see it out there. And I'm like, we're we're like, wow, that was cool. And then we walk over, and I see Robert showing it to James and Kirk. And then it's like one fret off. And I'm like, should I should I say something? <laughs> and so I'm, I go up to him. I'm like, hey, sorry to interrupt, but it's actually it's you know the fifth fret here, and this and this and this. And they're like, oh, okay, thanks. And then it was like, Monty, did you 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 just taught Metallica a song? <laughs> <laughs> so like those sort of things, the, just these crazy experiences that you get from all that. You know, I don't want to spend the whole interview talking about Madonna, but we can't ignore the fact that that's a huge gig and. Um, you've played to huge crowds all across the world over the last 20 years. Um, I, I know the story. We've talked about it over dinner and whatnot, but do you want to briefly kind of tell the story about how that came to be, how you started working with her? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I moved to LA from Texas and I got a job working at a music store because I figured I would meet the most musicians that way. From that, I started, I met Tommy Victor and I, and I started playing in prom. So, but I lived down in Redondo Beach and I didn't know any better when I first came there. I just rented a car and just drove and said, I like this place. I like this place. I don't like this place. And I liked it in Redondo Beach. I'd never seen the ocean before. And so I lived down there, but then I worked in Hollywood. But with Prong, we we practiced near the Burbank Airport. So that means there's not a lot of time to sleep. And Mm -hmm. it was really wearing down on me. And... I was not good at selling guitars. I wasn't good at the politics of selling guitars. And so I said, you know what? I'm going to quit and I'm going to start teaching because I've been I've been teaching since I was 15. Uh, my guitar teacher would have me teach as his apprentice. And I'm like, well, I'm just learning how to play. He's like, well, you you better really learn it so you can explain it to him. So, so I started teaching. And one of my first students was Guy Ritchie. And he was dating Madonna. And then... So I was I was going to her house and I became friends with her that way, that way because I was teaching her then boyfriend. And then her music album came out. And so the, the, that story is, is an important factor because uh, I was I moved I moved to Hollywood and my roommate comes in my, and, and, and he says, hey, uh, are you you're still going over and, you know, to, to Madonna's house? I'm like, yeah, because I saw she had a new album come out today. And I grabbed my keys and I bolted out the door and I got in my car and I hauled ass and I went to the Virgin Mega Store and they were closing. And I said, I just need to get this CD. And I bought the CD. I mean, if I would have been one minute later, then this would not have happened. So then I get home and I'm listening to the CD and there were songs in there that are very simplistic and perfect if you were teaching somebody how to play guitar, especially acoustic guitar. And, you know, there's something that's like A minor, G, D, you know, the same chords I'd be showing some someone. And so I wrote out the entire album. And the next day I had a lesson with Guy and and I was showing him. I was like, hey, you know what? These this song she wrote, you know, these are the same chords you're learning. You should learn this and play it for it. You know, to be impressed. And he's like, how did you get this? I'm like, well, the album came out yesterday. He's like, yeah, I know it came out yesterday. So how did you get this? And it was like like I had stolen the music or I had done something wrong to get the music. He didn't understand. I was like, no, the album came out yesterday. I got the CD and I wrote it out. And he goes, you've already written out this entire album. And I'm like, yeah. And then he just gets up and he walks out of the room. And I was like, oh, guess I'm in trouble. And so he went and told her like, okay, this guy coming over here, teach me how to play guitar. Just figured out your whole album and wrote it out. And it was sitting on the, on, on the table. <laughs> 
And so I started teaching her. And then a month, you know, I figured I would give her one guitar lesson and that would, that would be it because, you know, it's, um, and I always say, it's not like you can teach her something and say, you learn these chords, you learn how to play this Phrygian dominant scale and maybe one day you'll sell a million albums. <laughs> you know, for her, it's just sort of for fun or to write her own stuff. But then she just really uh, took off with it. And, you know, I was going over to, I was, I was going over to their house, like maybe like five days a week. And a month after her first lesson, she asked me to come play on Letterman with her. And I thought she was joking because, you know, she would always like joke around with me. And, uh, and that's the moment looking back that that is, that is the moment where my life changed. Like still people will say, oh yeah, Letterman, I, I was watching TV that night and I remember seeing you on there. I mean, that is that moment where, okay, before going on stage there, you know, your life is this way. The minute you walk off the stage, your life is completely, is, is, is a lot different. And so from there, she's like, okay, that, that you know, that was fun. Uh, I want you to, I'm going to go on tour again. And she hadn't been on tour in seven years. For all I knew, when I met her, she was retired and was just doing something else or just, you know, enjoying her life. And she said, I still want you to come on tour and, and teach me and I'm going to need a guitar player. So why don't you play guitar for me? I'm like, yeah, of course. I mean, I'd love to do that. And that's something that I didn't even know that I wanted to do. And um, but looking back it is there's so much variety in all of the music that and that's you know, that has been the 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 key to survival for me is is, is having a being able to do a variety of different things. And uh, now it's, you know, uh, 21 years with her. How, how many tours is that? That's seven uh, like world tours. Yeah. And then there's promo tours in between. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's uh, writing and recording sessions in between. Because I saw you as your guest, actually. Thank you at Madison Square Garden with her. Um, it, was oh, great yes. seeing, it was great seeing you, uh, you know, almost take on a different persona on stage as, as opposed to when I've seen you um, doing, you know, all your metal stuff. So the last question I kind of have about the whole Madonna situation is how have you been able to balance you know, going on a massive world tour with her, but then also writing a solo record or playing with Prong or Ministry or whoever else. Like, how's, how have you been able to juggle that? For a while, it worked out perfectly where I would go on tour with Madonna. And then as soon as that was done, it was time for Prong to do something because Tommy Victor played, he played guitar in Ministry and he also played with Danzig. And so he would be doing things with them. And so that it just sort of worked out uh, perfectly where I could I could do both. But then eventually, you know, you can't do you can't be in two places at the same time. And so I had to bow out so he could get somebody that was that could that could be there and commit to it 100 percent. Yeah. So I mean, that a lot of my heavy music, I will like before the morning sun, for example, I wrote that in it was like Denmark or some some place like that. where we there was some something where we were waiting around at soundcheck, which you always wait around at soundcheck. And I had just seen Steve Vai play in Ukraine. And there was something he was doing where he's doing his uh, like two hand, two finger tapping. He's doing even more than that. And I was just kind of sitting around uh, taking a G. You know, here's a G on the third fret top string. Here's a G on the uh, fifth fret fourth string. And then here it is on, on my, with my right hand, the 10th fret fifth string. and then 
uh, the 12th fret third string. I was just putting those together and moving the notes around. And I'm always just kind of sitting there kind of playing to myself. And a couple of Madonna's dancers came up and they go, whoa, what is that? And I'm like, hmm. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, well, that's going to be a song. And I just had all these pieces, but I was like, well, this will be a throwaway song. No one's going to even care about this song. So I'm going to have this guitar intro and the song's going to kick in. But then I want to have this part, you know, and everything together. And then I want to do this. I want to do this. And then that was, I didn't think of it as a song that was, you know, it was just kind of like an extra song. And, um, and then when, when I had played this for Brian Slagle, like that was one of the songs that he was like, oh, I want to hear that one again. And I'm like, really? That one? I mean, it's funny, funny to hear you call it a throwaway song because I see it as like, that's a Monty Pittman signature song. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, see, the, yeah, I know. And the, then the songs that I think are going to be like, this is going to be the one then you know, maybe get like the least amount of response. Mm, interesting. But then again, you, I mean, I always, they're all your babies, you know, you, you love every one of them, but you, that seems to be my to, tomato soup dumpling of songs. You got to try, you got to try the chicken tortilla, <laughs> uh, the tortilla soup dumplings we have now in New York. They're, they're even better. They're even better. There is nothing better. <laughs> uh, that's I, I will, I will take your word for it. I'll, I'll definitely try. If that's what I have to, yeah, I'll, I'll uh, definitely want to try. Yes. I'm sure I'll be feeding you guys on tour. I'm sure you'll be playing you know, New York, LA or Vegas or some, somewhere near those places. Yes. We, um, actually, I don't think there's a Vegas show, but there's New York and, um, we're playing in Anaheim. That's the house of blues. Mm. So, um, but yeah, so, so the, the way to juggle it is I'm always writing. So, um, on the inverted grasp of balance album, that's the album I did with Jay Rustin. I recorded mm. my guitars on the road. So those get, you know, and I have a, a Kemper amp. I know you know what that is. And so you can record, you know, direct and it's the best, you know, I think a Kemper is the quote me on this. The Kemper is the best invention that has ever happened for guitar. Got it. Um, and, and so I would be uh, in the back of the bus in the middle of the night, like, oh, I'm going to lay down some, have an idea for a solo. And so I'd record that or in my hotel room or in the dressing room. So the guitars were, what's kind of cool about that was the guitars were recorded all over the world. So everybody awesome. needs to listen to it now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You can hear what the guitars sound like in Thailand. You can hear what the guitars sound like in uh, in Sweden. So you know, you did a song called "Guilty Pleasure," and you um, shot the video at Beauty, one of my Beauty and Essex locations. That's right. Thank you very much for that. Yeah, of course. Great video too. At least that you can talk about. What would be a what would be a guilty pleasure of yours? Be it food or otherwise. Yeah, no, you mean not related to the song because the not song is the song. very violent and it's about yeah. someone taking pleasure out of harming someone who deserves it. kind of a, you know, the the, the video concept was kind of like a Dexter sort yeah. of thing. Yeah, yep. Uh, the amazing Leanna Decker was is, is, our, is our murderer and she killed everybody from Metal Blade Records just about. Uh, Vince Edwards did the video and so it, it could be kind of like a Bonnie and Clyde kind of thing where she's going to kill me or I'm going to kill her or uh, who knows, or, or we're just going to go restring our guitars. I don't know. But uh, a guilty pleasure for me right now is cat wrestling. I uh, cat, yeah, cat wrestling. Like if you go on Instagram and you just, just add that hashtag, you can just see videos of cats wrestling. I can't get enough of it. That's my guilty pleasure. Uh, lately I've been into really bad infomercials, you know, like where they're holding 
uh, I just was just watching one just before we just before we started this, and the guy is sitting on his couch and he, he hangs up his phone, but he has a huge bowl of pasta sitting on the edge of his couch and knocks it over. And of course, he's just distraught. Those sort of things, I guess, if that's a guilty pleasure. Late 90s one hit wonders, songs that I used to not, I want to keep it positive, but songs that I used to not be so fond of. I look back now with is that they're just complete genius. Um, like an example is uh, Semi-Charmed Life from Third Eye Blind. I was I was not very fond of that song when it when it came out. That wasn't the the type of things that I was listening to or interested in. And now, or especially last year, and this happened like right at a you know a year ago with the pandemic, a lot of my students would want to learn those songs. I'm like, why is all this stuff coming up? But then it kind of dawned on me that that was kind of the last time that everything was sort of that you know that was before September 11th. And, uh, and Homeland Security and the housing market crash and all of this stuff, you know, where it was like the last of a happy time or how people kind of think of the 50s. You know, I think we just created a segment for this podcast going forward where I'm going to we're going to ask every guest what their guilty pleasure is, um, because oh. I am absolutely when we when we sign off here, I'm going to Instagram cat wrestling for sure. Cat, oh, oh, my God. Cat wrestling. Uh, I saw this one match this morning and he had it, but he was kicked. I don't know how they kick their faces and they don't injure themselves. So you're into boxing. I think cat wrestling could be the next step up. Weird guilty pleasure of mine, which nobody knows, which definitely would be, it's very, it's very unique, I think, to what I do, but I am fascinated and I, (laughs) this is almost really weird to admit, but um, I like watching like like 1960s, 70s, 80s, and 90s, I'll go to YouTube and I'll go down a little rabbit hole of fast food commercials. Because as time changes, every fast food commercial you see is basically a, like a complete scam, right? Like the like the burger never looks or tastes like it does on TV in those commercials. And you know, and they're and they're trying to it doesn't look like no, that. It, it doesn't taste like that. And they're trying to and they're trying to they're trying to show you in 30 or 60 seconds what amazing value you're getting. And that's never changed. Like every fast food commercial from, from the 60s or 70s, that it's been, how do we show people in 30 or 60 seconds? That this is the, they, they need to choose us for their burger. This is why. This is how cheap it is. This is what a great deal it is. And how do we do that? And, and I love watching how, you know, we do it a certain way now, but 20 years ago, we did it a different way. It's just, it's just it fascinates me. So that's, my, that's one of my weird pleasures. You should you should make a commercial that looks like an old fast food commercial. <laughs> That's so weird because so you know John Bush did was like the voice of Burger King and we talked about that on this podcast. I heard that, yeah. Yeah. So I went back and watched those commercials and then I went down a rabbit hole like that. <laughs> so that's very bizarre that you also have that rabbit hole. Um, I wanted to ask you, Monty, we're running low on time, but I wanted to ask you, you've got a pretty funky piece of abstract art behind you. Is that a uh, like an interest of yours? It, it is. Yeah. yeah. Uh, one of my students made this. It's a repl- It's a replica of a Solage painting. Pierre yeah. Solage is one of my favorite artists. And so last year, yeah, last year, um, it was at the end of the Madonna Madame X tour. And we were in Paris for a month. And what I would what I would do on days off is go to the Louvre. And at first I went to the Louvre with some other uh friends like you know like in the band and all that and one uh one of the guys wanted to do this 
tour of like these certain paintings. Like we have to see this, we have to see this. And then you hear the story of, of, of how it came about. And then that was like, oh, wow, that's really fascinating. And it changes uh, what you think you're just looking at some old painting, but what happened then to make that painting is like, there's uh, the Medusa is one of the ones that's in the Louvre and it's, it's very famous. And it's one of the first paintings that someone, uh, I don't think he was commissioned to make it. I think, he, or maybe either he was or he wasn't commissioned to paint it, to paint it. Maybe, so maybe he just did it on his own, but it's about these, uh, these people that were lost at sea. And so what the, what he went through to just to get the exact colors of their skin, because they all had like, uh, I don't like scurvy or and all, you know, whatever diseases you get when you're abandoned at sea and stuff like that. So I would, they had an exhibit on Solange who just paints everything black. And so you, it looks like someone just threw a bunch of black paint on the, on the canvas, but then as you stare at it, you you there's so many dimensions and it's so cool. So I was posed, I kept posting uh, pictures about this on my Instagram, but one of my students, she's an art dealer, and she said, Hey, I have a surprise for you. I made you a replica of this painting. And I'm like, what? So that's what it is. Uh, the real one would be like eight million. Sometimes I tell people that it's real. And I also have I have a print of pandemonium. Pandemonium, you know what that is? Yeah. Oh, cool. So, uh, yeah, that's, you know, that's from Paradise Lost, if you know about all of that. Mm -hmm. That's a prized possession there. And then I have a, a print of Death and Life from Gustav Klimt. So, yes, I, I you know, I, I, uh, that's another sort of, uh, I don't know if I would call that a guilty pleasure, but. No, it's a cool pleasure. Definitely something that I'm, that I'm into. Cat wrestling. Dad and cat. Well, see, I need to get a painting of some cat wrestling, actually. Chris, I'm trying to, I'm trying to bring out the, the more educated side of Monty. <laughs> I did not know that I was going to be talking about art and cameras. <laughs> this podcast is full of surprises, Monty. So before we let you go, what else? So October, November ministry tour, when do you start rehearsal? I already have kind of. Oh yeah. Okay. You know, well, well band rehearsals will happen. Like, you know, there, there's, there'll be levels of that, right? Like right now what I'm doing is I'm getting with Caesar, the other guitar player, and we're, we're um, just kind of going over parts and, like last night, I mean, it'll, it's still going to be a process, but I've programmed, the, I've been doing this, but like like putting it together and programming the Kemper with the set list. And, and what I can do is like, I know you know a little bit of how this works. So, but, um, you know, for whatever song there is, like, let's say that we play, uh, well, I don't want to say anything, but there, let's say there's a song that's the most popular song. Uh, if you look on their Spotify or Apple Music, and we're gonna, and let's say we were going to play that song live, then like whatever the tempo is of that song, you can lock it in, and you just you store that. So then any effects, any echoes, automatically goes at that tempo. Very cool. And like just things like that. I'm just sort of preparing, and I'll go to the lengths of. Um, see how a Kemper works is like how sampling works with a keyboard. It's not modeling like other types of amps. It's not, they're not making sounds from different EQs. The way that you get your sound is you take a microphone and you record the amp. So if you wanted an old Marshall or an old Fender and someone has recorded that, then you have it because with the, the way of modeling amps is what's not in the equation is the microphone. It doesn't matter how good your guitar is or your amp is, it's still going into a little microphone and that's what's picking up the sound. 
So I would go back and so I've been going back and finding, like researching what was used to either make the recordings or what was used live at that time. And so I have that in my arsenal. So I have several things ready. So when we play all together as a band, like production rehearsals, you know, you some because sometimes that stuff doesn't work. Sometimes it does, but sometimes it's like, no, okay, we need just you need to use a regular amp sound for this. Just so I can come in a hundred percent, because I look at this as a great honor. A great, and I've, you know, I've been friends with so many people in the band before me, and uh, it's a great experience and it's a great uh, opportunity to be able to, for me to be you know to be able to play in front of all these people. I've never had that before. You know, with Madonna, it's all about her, and you know, she has me out on out on stage, but also it's. It's you know we we say with a gig like that it's not what you play it's what you don't play. Uh, I did an interview with uh, with my friend Marty Friedman a few weeks ago and he was saying uh, like oh that'd be so cool if you know you did you know because uh, there's a couple of times you know I've done a guitar solo and I said like that doesn't always work and you can't put a guitar solo if I mean you could do anything you want but I feel like you know just sometimes you put a guitar so you can't force a guitar solo in a song like that just to have a guitar solo. You know, sometimes you just need a simple melody. Look at Smells Like Teen Spirit. That guitar solo, he's just playing the melody of the song. And sometimes that's that's all you need. And you, you don't want, what's most important is the entire team. So you, you may not play anything on some songs, or you may just play a couple of notes. All right, so October, November, we're going to see you on the road. Are you in L.A. And, like for most of the rest of the summer before that? As far as I know, yeah, I'm, I'm here. I'm in L.A. and I'm still teaching. I'll always be teaching. You can find me online. Or if you go to montypittman.com, if, you know, if anybody's looking for guitar lessons or anybody needs me to play guitar on their, their stuff. So, I mean, that's what I've been doing. I've just been teaching and um, playing all, a lot of sessions. So somebody will send me the track. I'll play guitar on it, send it to them. Uh, a couple of people that I'm producing, like their songs, and um, so the, and then you know then getting ready for for ministry. Gonna get you over here to the house before you go on tour. Got to let you go. With where can people find you on Instagram? I'm at Monty Pittman everywhere. M O N T E P I T T M A N. So just uh, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. Or if you go to my website, you know, MontyPittman.com. I mean, hopefully, you can just look me up and find me. If not, I need to fire somebody. <laughs> Which would be myself. That'd be myself. Great talking to you. Great seeing you. I'm going to give you a call in a couple of days. Uh, as soon as I get a free minute, I want to talk to you about something else. Yeah, I know we have other things to talk about, and we need to we need to start working on our album. Yes, we do. Okay. We do. What are we going to call it? Do you have a name yet? You know, I, I I've been toying with the with the name. All we have is now. Because that's kind of how I'm feeling about wanting to play music and other things that I'm trying to do. All we have is now. Okay, well, so far, then that'll be the name because that that is better than the Tomato Soup Dumpling Trio. <laughs> Although I like that, too. It's going to be a tough one. It's, but then we, well, we may have more than a trio, so I guess that wouldn't work anyway. We might. We might. we got to figure that out. All we're going to have is who can play with us at that moment <laughs> before they go on tour. Matt has a, a collection of linen suits, so he's our de facto manager before we've even even written a note together. Oh, God. <laughs> I did not realize that's what responsibility this would get me, but okay. And I, what I like about this, this is like when I was a little kid and I would have bands with my friends from school, although they didn't even play an instrument. 
and we weren't even we never played together or wrote a song but we said that we had a band we had a name and we're going to do all this stuff but those bands broke up but this this will be like that but it'll be the real deal yeah i wanted to call it sleeping giant but I, but, I, but but apparently there are about 15 other projects out there already called sleeping giant so it's hard to have a good name that's why uh, so that's why i use monty pittman and, you know, people have always said, you need to have a band name. You have given me this advice, like, you need to have a band name. But I can't think of a good name that hasn't been used. And so I, I, I was betting on maybe some people know me from being Monty Pittman. And so yeah, just go through that. If I called myself, uh, you know, uh, I couldn't use Liquid Death. <laughs> but uh, if I call it that, they wouldn't know I was involved with the uh, with the music. So, all right, gotta run. Um, love you. Call you this week. Uh, thanks so much for being a part of this. Um, everybody out there, I hope you enjoyed this. This is a great, great uh, episode with lots of fun storytelling. Come back next week uh, for more. Uh, expect more guilty pleasures going forward. I think you've, uh, we definitely are going to make that a uh, part of this podcast. Um, and with that, uh, we are out for the week. Love you too, man. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Thank you so much, man. All right. So that was awesome. Thank you everyone out there for listening to Delirious Nomads sponsored by Blacklight Media. We will be coming back at you next week with another awesome guest. Be sure to follow Blacklight Media on socials for new music and more. And above all, keep it heavy. This is the story of Whitney Houston. This is the story of Kurt Cobain. Of George Michael, of Otis Redding, of Amy Winehouse, of Michael Hutchins, Bob Marley. This is the story of Prince. It's a new podcast series. About how they died, why they died, and why we're still talking about them so long after. It's like nothing you've ever heard before. It's storytelling. But it's more than that, because rock stars... They tell us how we feel... They change our mood. They change the clothes we wear, the people we hang out with. The way we remember things. It's them who give us those ludicrous moments, the ones where you're... Jumping around, singing your heart out, feeling understood. And it's those moments we'll help you remember, the ones you're thinking about right now. That feeling. That feeling. It's coming soon from Crowd Network. Just search for Death of a Rockstar on your podcast app. And subscribe now. Ever wonder what a punch from Elton John feels like? Or how you'd cope with having turned down the chance to be in Nirvana? Or what signal Keith Richards gives when he wants you to get the hell out of his hotel room? Fans of Too Much Effing Perspective don't have to wonder, because they've heard these exact stories and a jillion others on our podcast. I'm Alex Hoffman, former tour manager for Radiohead. And I'm musician and comedy writer Alan Keller. On the TMEP show, we get guests like Nancy Wilson from Heart, Jeremiah Freights from the Lumineers, and Modern Family's Julie Bowen to tell us things they may have only shared with their therapist, clergy, or a TMZ stringer. So join us on Too Much Effing Perspective. That's E-F-F-I-N-G Perspective. The only podcast you crank up to 11. <laughs>